Today on the Women Mind the Water podcast, I'm speaking with Mariah Reading. Mariah is an eco-artist who applies a zero-waste philosophy to her artistic practice. She paints landscapes on discarded objects. These landscapes are representative of the places where the objects were found. Once painted, Mariah photographs the work to highlight the landscapes and obscure the discarded object. The Women Mind the Water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am pleased to welcome Mariah Reading to the Women Mind the Water Art of a Series podcast. Mariah grew up in Maine. There she developed a deep appreciation for nature. This appreciation has led her on a journey, one that includes visiting many of our national parks. Thus far, she has visited 24 of them. It's inspired her to to create recycled landscapes, an ongoing art project that speaks to the need to preserve and protect our country's diverse landscapes. Mariah's commitment as an eco-artist includes working as an Arts in the Parks volunteer in Guadalupe Mountains National Park, assisting in Yosemite's facelift efforts and creating conservation workshops in the Channel Island National Park. Thank you for joining me on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you about your journey to the national parks and the artwork that this has inspired and all your other experiences. Thanks. I'd like to begin by asking how growing up in Maine led you to become an artist and use art in service of Mother Nature. Yeah, so I think... So I grew up in Bangor, Maine, and I was just kind of surrounded by this major river and streams close to the forest. I could get to the coast relatively easy. Um, The end of the Appalachian Trail in Baxter was close by. Like, there were kind of all of these moving parts. And then amidst all of those, like, landscape features, there were the seasonal changes. So, you know, I would get to to breathe in all of the the sense of spring and then kind of see that transition into fall bright colors so the landscape of Maine was just like constantly moving and it's hard not to be inspired here uh so so I kind of I grab I always grew up doing art my parents really fostered that in me and my brother uh my dad studied art in college so they were just like take the paintbrushes and go (laughs) Uh, so, so yeah, I just always grew up kind of painting and sketching and, uh, in college I decided to major in visual arts, uh, and education. So I kind of focused and that's, that's what I wanted to do, um, kind of getting into college. All right. So there is no disrespect in what I'm going to say. There's only admiration. But when Mm -hmm. I say that so many artists paint pretty pictures, that's what I see. But I think you are a rarity among artists, because your pictures are both beautiful. And as an artist, you are aware of the environmental impact of painting. What led you to a zero waste practice? Yeah, it was, again, college, I um, was immersed in all these different forms of art, I was just so invested in the arts. So not only did I take Uh, painting classes but I took lots of sculpture classes and dance classes and photography and printmaking and was just trying to you know do it all so I could suss out what was the best fit for me 
And throughout that, you know, a lot of the classes are based on installation or at the end of the, the class or semester, you have, you know, a final exhibit and then what happens to it when it's done, it just gets thrown out. And I noticed that in the performing arts as well. A lot of things get reused, but a lot of things just have to be thrown out. Um, and specifically, I took a mold making class uh, where we would mix big vats of concrete and rubber molds and you know, just touch our paintbrushes on it to kind of work through the medium. And you just had to throw those out because concrete couldn't be washed down the drain or there's no way to reuse it if you didn't use that exact amount. Uh, so that was the moment that I started to really realize that I was inspired by landscapes that ended up being harmed by my practice. Uh, so I, so I, you know, wanted, wanted to, to switch up my gears and be more mindful about, um, about my footprint as an artist and to try to leave, leave the, the landscapes that so inspire me better than, than I found them. I think that's wonderful. So let's <laughs> talk a little bit about your experience with the National Park. What was the first one that you ever visited? And what about that experience led you to res resolve to visit more of them? Yeah, I, uh, I visited Acadia was my first park, uh, Wabanaki Confederacy land, uh, you know, I grew up going here. I have pictures of me as like a little baby on the Cadillac Mountain granite on the carriage roads, um, you know, looking over the beautiful rocky cliffside. And I think it's just one of those things that growing up here, not that I took it for granted, but it's just always there. So I, I feel like it never really like felt like a, a national park or anything. You're like, oh, I just get to go to the beach. This is so fun. Uh, so probably one of the first like pivotal national parks that I went to as a more fully formed <laughs> human was Yosemite. Um, me and my friend or me and my family went on a California road trip um, and went through Yosemite Valley. And I was just blown away by the scale of things like, you know, walking down in Acadia, you can see people hiking. You're like, oh, there they are. And getting to, to drive and walk through Yosemite Valley and be like, I, I can't even see the, like my brain was just out of control, the the perspective and the the vastness of it all was um, intangible. Uh, so that's kind of where I began to get get my NPS fix. Uh, but but each one, I'm just always amazed that each each national park and native land that they're on um, just provides so so much inspiration and there's so much history and and beauty, dynamic beauty there. Right, we're very lucky in this country to have those national parks. What was the first item you found that you painted on and where did you find that item and what exactly did you paint on it? Yeah, so the, the beginning of my project was uh, back in 2016, I went out to the Skudik Peninsula of Acadia National Park and found multiple pieces of marine debris. So buoys, ropes, plastic water bottles, of course, um, you know, fishing lines, like that sort of coastal community debris. Uh, so I painted the, the Scudic Peninsula onto it. So at that point, I was taking multiple pieces of trash and adhering them together to form a cohesive canvas. Uh, so, so that was the first one. Uh, and then from there, I kind of continued going to specific parks, finding multiple pieces of trash, making one canvas and going from there. Uh, and then in 2017, I volunteered for the Guadalupe Mountains National Park. And that was my first time um, 
getting to really live in a park as opposed to just doing quick day trips or just out and backs. So um, that's when I started finding single objects that really spoke to me. Uh, so that's when I started, you know, holding up the objects amidst the landscape and integrating photography into my work. Uh, so the, the the pivotal piece there was a half a hubcap that I found, um, which again is it's kind of like a portrait of the, the landscape. Like buoys are portraits of Acadia, um, car parts are <laughs> portraits of Guadalupe Mountains because there's a major highway going through. And the hubcap cracked off to form the outline of the mountain range that I happened to be in. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. So it's cool to like read up on the textures of the pieces and see how it relates. Okay. So I hope people who are listening will find time to watch the video version of this podcast because it's truly amazing how the items Mariah paints are both visible and disappear into the surrounding landscapes. Because the focus of this podcast is on the ocean, I'd like to know of the national parks you visited that are adjacent to or include the ocean, which has been the most memorable for you and why and how has it inspired you? Yeah, I mean, I think it it kind of all begins and stems from Acadia and I see Maine as my home. Uh, So so Acadia is definitely like a huge, hugely pivotal place for me to be. Um, I, it's just so dynamic. Um, and to feel a part of the community, I feel uh, even more invested in like integrating my art into like beautifying the, the landscape and doing trash cleanups and all of that. Um, so, so Acadia is like a big, obviously it's like a huge place in my, in my heart. Um, but I also, whenever anybody asks like what my favorite park is, I always, um, I say Channel Islands Uh that's on the coast of, uh, California, California. Yeah. So I lived in California after graduating for three years and it, um, yeah, so it's it's cool. They're kind of like on opposite ends of the park or of the United States, and to see how like these very removed parks from each other are related. Both Acadia and the Channel Islands are you know pristine parks on the land. When you're hiking across the landscape, up the hills and mountains, you know no debris. It's beautiful. It's spotless. And then when you get to the shoreline, everything comes up. It's the marine debris churn. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I love the Channel Islands too. I think, um, seeing the ocean as a resource is really, really interesting. Like, you know, we have pine tree forests here and at the Channel Islands, it's a kelp forest with all the Garibaldi right. fish and the sea lions swimming sea through. Lions, yep. Um, and I'm a big sea kayaker, so I got to sea kayak through some of their caves, um, out there. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's pretty amazing to kind of push shove off from like the hustle and bustle of Southern California and be in one of the most remote national parks in the lower 48. Um, so yeah, those are, those are definitely two highlights. For right. Me. So I feel certain that you find your shared trash in all these places. How do you choose what item you're going to paint on? Yeah. So I, there's a lot of factors involved. Um, a lot of times I, don't really have the time <laughs> to do something. I uh, am just going for a hike or the, the rain comes in or the weather's below freezing. So I just pick up items uh, and then bring them to like my studio space and respond to them there. 
Um, you know, I'm kind of looking for durable surfaces, but I've recently gotten into painting on clothing items so I can stretch them around canvases. Uh, I don't really, I wouldn't say that I'm looking for anything specifically. Uh, most of the time, the, the process is kind of improvised. I just happen upon something and that inspires a new way of thinking, a new way of learning, and kind of this adjustment process of, okay, how am I going to stick some paint on this, you know, weird slimy object or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but I would say throughout um, this project, a lot of what I found is uh, water bottles, shoes, lots of single shoes. Um, yeah, just kind of things that are reflected in our in our own own lives, I would say, you know, most people wear shoes, most people, you know, as, as hard as we may try to not use single use plastics, um, they're kind of ubiquitous. So uh, finding objects that kind of reflect the space that we're in as humans right now um, is, is kind of my jam. Uh, and also, I, I really, like I kind of alluded to this before, finding objects that the texture of the object speaks to the landscape. So like water bottles that have ridges in them and seeing those ridges in, you know, the angular rocks on the coast of Maine, for instance, or like kind of reading into the the object's shape and how that relates to the shape of the environment I'm in. Okay. Do you ever meet people who see your work as little more than a craft project rather than seeing it as art? And what do you say to people who might say, oh, that you're just doing craft? Oh, um, <laughs> I say, uh, we don't have to be friends. <laughs> I'll see you never. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually haven't. I've received like really good um, support throughout the years, which I'm always amazed at. I think, I think the demographic that my art is hitting mostly is kind of similar to my demographic, like kind of my friends from college, like kind of, we're all like in the same age bracket almost. And I'm hoping to expand a little bit more, but I think, uh, something specific to, you know, millennials and Gen Xers, um, or Gen Zers is that, you know, we're all experiencing, um, or a lot of us are experiencing eco-anxiety and kind of this, <sighs> this, <laughs> anxiousness associated with Anthropocene that we're, you know, living in right now. So, so yeah, I, I, I haven't really gotten too much like lashback. Um, sometimes, you know, I think especially with fine arts, education is a really important thing. So being able to use my art as a tool to educate others on like what I'm doing and why, um, I think that's an important facet to it. Uh, and then also like, I think crafts are just as important as art. So I think, you know, there's a lot of times crafts are like, you know, belittled for some reason as opposed right. to fine art. And I really don't think, oh my God, there's like so, especially in Maine, there's like countless incredible craftspeople that are, you know, way more, <laughs> you know, talented than I, you know, I, I hope to be half as talented as they are with, you know, bookmaking or basket making or whatever it may be. So I think that's another thing that education could could do well to um, kind of provide uh, just contextualization of like crafts are amazing, art is amazing, you're creative. And I think bringing beauty to the world can't be wrong. Would I be correct in using the verb transform to describe what you do? Yeah, I would say so. 
I like to say like breathing new life into forgotten objects. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's actually like the best gift. Um, when I hop around a lot and move to different um, parks for residencies and so a lot of times the, the staff there or, you know, I do workshops so the visitors there kind of see the art that I'm making uh, and know that I'm search hunting for trash. So I've had a few people kind of like knock on my cabin doors and leave me like hubcaps or, <laughs> you know, like leftover shoes. And it's always like delightful. <laughs> like, this is so nice. Like who else would <laughs> be stoked to just have somebody knock on their door and like leave them trash? Uh, I, I am. <laughs> I'm always so, very, very pleased. <laughs> so what's some one of your favorite things that you've had to paint that or not you've had to paint but that you chose to paint yeah that somebody's gifted me or just that I've done in general any of that oh man it's so hard I think um that hubcap one is pretty significant for me uh just because it kind of started it all and made me realize that not only could I be a painter but I could also integrate photography and sculpture and kind of be this mixed media artist um so the half a hubcap el hubcappy chan is um definitely a significant one that I've, I've held on to that one's not for sale uh and um yeah but I think each each item that I find kind of has its own flair and flirt so some some surfaces are harder to paint on, but you kind of work through it. Uh, recently, I've been working with a lot of clothing, like I mentioned. Right. So last winter, my big project was finding, I found, you know, 20 or 30 pairs or loan gloves and mittens. So I sewed all of those together and then stretched that kind of sewed mass around a canvas. So it was kind of involving um a traditional canvas <laughs> procedure right um, but on these untraditional surfaces uh and then I painted a cove uh on the coast of Maine that I lived right by onto it so that one's called glove that's cove. a real challenge because I would think the paint is soaked up in the the glove material yeah it's all about the layers there's lots of lots of layers involved it you know, sand things down. Um, so, you know, the, the acrylic paint can kind of adhere more easily to them. And then I lay a layer of gesso or two or three, you know, sometimes have to wait a couple of days for things to fully dry. Um, yeah, it's just all about the layers, but usually I have like two or three to 10 projects working at once. So I'm kind of a dabbler. I like to do one thing, put it to the side, do a little thing, put it to the side and kind of pick and choose. That's good. So Mm -hmm. how do you hope your work will affect the conversation about natural settings? Yeah, I guess my hope is that my work, people see their, their own habits reflected into their work and can make small changes in their lives. And especially as they're uh, navigating through these native lands, um, you know, national parks are becoming, um, you know, they're, they're getting in the millions, you know, tens of millions of visitation per year. They're kind of being loved to death at this point. So I hope that my art can kind of, um, allow people to kind of pause and think about their own consumption habits and uh, just make small changes. It's really, really overwhelming to be in the midst of this changing world. Um, And 
I think it's, it's, yeah, anxiety provoking to be like, I need to be zero waste immediately. Uh, So, you know, I'm not close to that. I'm a consumer as well. And I'm just taking small steps every day and reusing things um, slowly but surely to try to become this zero waste artist, the zero waste person. Uh, But I couldn't do it all at once. You know, I couldn't have done it as an 18 year old. So I think just, just seeing, seeing opportunities and taking small, small changes in the, in your life, um, to, to leave your, leave your own personal community better than you found it. That's, that is admirable because not everybody feels that way. So what's next for Mariah in terms of national parks to visit? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to uh, the coast of Oregon soon, uh, for a three and a half month long residency at the Sitka Center for Art and Ecology. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's not necessarily in a national park, but it's on, you know, this beautiful preserve land right on the coast there. So I'm hoping to do a bit of traveling while I'm in Oregon uh, and Washington, potentially. Uh, Crater Lake is on the list. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing my snowshoes out and I love the winter. So um, that's that's definitely on the list. I haven't had the privilege of getting out there yet, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to be more more mindful of the places that I'm in. And I think when I first started this project, I wanted to go to every single national park as fast as I could, like yeah. And now it's just like okay, I'm here. I want to be here. I want to respond to this place that I'm living in now, and trying to be more present um, and reflective of that as opposed to spreading myself so completely. Finally, I ask all of my guests to offer advice to listeners on what they can do to help the ocean. What is your advice on how to protect our natural treasures? Yeah, again, I think it's just thinking about your consumption habits. Um, Unfortunately, kind of we're in this system where all of our debris and detritus kind of ends up in the ocean so to think about you know who you buy from like buy locally limit your plastics like all those things that a million people have said before um but it's true because it it, you know the watershed carries it it all kind of goes we've got the pacific garbage patch we've got you know all of this stuff uh so so i think just kind of putting yourself in the perspective of like this global world that our trash and debris and pollution and all that, it's not out of sight, out of mind. Um, by like taking it in, it's like <laughs> in the fibers of the world right now. So so I think, yeah, again, just kind of going back, taking making small changes, try to be mindful. And um, you know, I, I try to listen to those pings that I get, like when I forget my reusable water bottle or forget my reusable coffee mug or something, and I feel a ping in my heart and I'm like no like see that as progress like that is a good thing you're not complacent about it you're not indifferent about it that is like a meaningful step and you won't forget it next time so just I think kind of meeting yourself where you're at uh but then also you know trying trying to limit those plastics and and buying smart if you can right So Mariah, thank you for being on the Women Mind the Water podcast. I really am pleased to have had a chance to talk with you about your recycled landscape project. I think what you are doing is brilliant. I know some of my previous guests will be excited to learn about your work. And I wish you luck in your future endeavors. Please keep in touch. Maybe we can find a way to collaborate in the future. Yes. 
I would love to. Yes, delight. So I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Mariah Reading for the Women Mind the Water podcast. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, on iTunes, and other sites such as Spotify and Stitcher. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Paris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.